You're here, which means that you've found spirit crumbs, leading you to your inner light worker. I will be sharing how these tiny little hints from the universe have led me to where I am today. I hope that by hearing my story and the stories of others, you'll pick up your own spirit crumbs along the way that will lead you to somewhere magical. Thanks for coming along for the journey. Let's see where it takes us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spirit Crumbs. I am your host, Andrea McCallum, and I am an artist and a healing energy facilitator. Today's episode has been kind of slowly coming to me over the last two weeks. It's another one that has been guided by, you guessed it, Spirit Crumbs. And it's a little bit different than how I normally receive the topics. So I happened to be just, you know, scrolling online, watching videos. I don't even know what platform it was on. And I came across a video of Justin Bieber solving a Rubik's Cube on James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. This is how I know something is like a sign because normally I would just like watch it, be like, that's cool, scroll. But I kind of was like, why does this feel like something I need to like hold on to? So I didn't do anything with it. I just thought, oh, that's interesting. And like when you're thinking about the Rubik's Cube, like for me, I always think that it's a sort of thing that people with like engineering minds tend to gravitate towards. But then I thought, you know what? It's a creative problem. And so I just kind of let that simmer. And then before I knew it, almost every show that I watched of all different types, like I was watching The Circle and one of the characters has one and is talking about it. I was watching Casual on Netflix and one of the interactions that happens is, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's not really a spoiler, but there's a scene where they're doing a flashback to when the main character has her daughter and then the brother is in the hospital waiting room and he has a Rubik's cube and the doctor comes over to him and sees that he's kind of like using it. And I can't remember exactly how the exchange starts, but basically the doctor just takes it from him, quickly does it in like, you know, 20 seconds, gives it back to him. And then when he's like looking at him in R or whatever, he's like, oh, it's all about the algorithms. And I was like, oh, algorithms. That's like where we're going with this. Okay. And then before I knew it, it was on Veep in an episode they referenced it. I can't even count the number of things it's been in now since that came into my awareness. And so I started thinking, okay, well, let's kind of like see what else comes from this as I start looking into the history of it and whatnot. So I'll start off by just talking a little bit about the Rubik's Cube. So the Rubik's Cube that we are all familiar with was created by Erno Rubik. And I'm not going to be pronouncing that right, but he is a Hungarian sculptor and he was a professor of architecture as well. And he was actually working at the Department of Interior Design at the Academy of Applied Arts and Crafts. So 1974 is when it's largely like known that he patented the Rubik's Cube. But in March 1970, Larry D. Nichols had invented a two by two by two puzzle 
um, that had like rotating pieces held together by magnets. He was Canadian and he had put in a patent for that in 1970. And then in April, literally the next month, April 1970, Frank Fox created this amusement device that was also like a sliding puzzle. It was on a spherical surface, so it wasn't exactly the same, but that finally got its patent in 1974. And I was like, that's so interesting that like, it seems like people are always on like the same wavelength at the same time. But for Rubik, he uh, finally got the patent for his product, which was called the Magic Cube at the time on January 30th, 1975. And this was a three by three cube. So like the classic cube that you see everywhere, basically. And it became one of like the most best-selling products. So they started testing batches of it, like to put out to market in 1977. It took a couple of years to get started. And then it was actually licensed after a few years to Ideal Toy Corporation in 1980. And so it became the world's best-selling puzzle toy. And what I find fascinating is that at one point in 1981, three of the top 10 best-selling books in the U.S. were on solving the Rubik's Cube. That's how popular it was. There's three actual books that were on the top 10 best-selling books at one point. And I was like, that is fascinating because it just shows you that, like how intensely everyone wanted to solve this cube. And there's now also the Speed Cube competition. There's also world records for, like Guinness World Records for solving the Rubik's Cube. So I had my whole outline ready and I was just watching TV the other night and I was like, okay, let's see what's on Netflix. I started scrolling and there's actually a documentary called Speed Cubers and it's only 40 minutes. I highly recommend anyone watch it just because it's not just about the Rubik's Cube, but it's about these two really young men who are competing in these contests. And I was like, this is so cool that I've just, I probably wouldn't have even stopped on it. It's like the, um, I think it's the RAS, like your reticular activating system. Like once you're aware of something, you'll see it more. And so some of the, comp some of the things I think were spirit crumbs, like me happen happening to see it in multiple TV shows, because it's like, why would I choose like every show that I watched had it? But this, because it was just like me looking quickly for something. I know it was just like, because I'm aware of it, but I found it such a heartwarming story because they're all really young and something that they said, which I really, I don't know, resonated with, I guess, in a way is that most of the people who are competing, if you watch the documentary, they're all really young. They're all extremely young. They're all like kids and teenagers mostly. And what someone said in the film, which I can't remember who said it, but they said that once you become an adult and you have like a regular job and responsibilities, you really can't just hone that skill anymore and spend as much time on it. And so you don't really get placed in the records, right? And people sort of fizzle out. 
And these kids are literally do them, doing them all day. And there's even like one handed competitions within like these conferences. And I was just fascinated with the level of skill because they have to know all of these different algorithms that they're following to do it. I actually got a Rubik's Cube when I started thinking about this idea because I was like, I just want to have like a, as you guys know, I like having a tangible um, thing to work with. And I haven't solved it, clearly. I'm, it's not the way my brain really works, but I know at some point I could, I could look up one of the videos or resources to figure out these algorithms. But I think somewhere I read that only about 6% of people can actually just like solve these cubes, right? Like without looking up the algorithms, and like studying them and whatnot. But I just thought that it was such an interesting concept. And that got me thinking about a number of different things. One of the things that came up was just the idea that you're like mastering the long game. It just seems to me like, there's points where you could make a row or you could get a whole face and then you move on to the next face or the next row. And I have been pulling the eight of pentacles quite often, which is about mastering and really studying and focusing on the one thing that you're doing and that that's the way to prosper in the long run. And I also have been thinking a lot about how I'm not a huge fan of shortcuts. Like I could just look up the algorithms, but then what if I get it on my own? Wouldn't that feel a lot better? Like, I just feel like that brings you so so much more of a reward. And the other part of it is that in any sort of like creative problem, I think every single little choice that you make, you know, impacts the outcome, but also that it's about the process. And for me, I think even maybe a couple of years ago, I would have been super frustrated not being able to solve it. But now it's just kind of like something that I have been coming back to here and there. For my ADHD, it's actually been good too because I have it on my desk. And so I'll just pick it up and play around with it a little bit. And then when I'm like, okay, I'm over that, I go back to work. And I think too, it kind of speaks to the idea that it's not about the destination. Like, if you're not going to be happy until you get to the final destination, then you're probably going to miss a lot along the way, right? That classic conundrum. And I think, yes, it's good to have the goal and keep pushing towards it. But again, you don't know really, unless it's something very specific, how long it's going to take you to reach a goal or if you're ever going to reach that specific goal at all, like maybe you're going to pivot and move towards something else. The other part of this that I've been thinking of is that you really, when you're taking shortcuts, you're bypassing your own growth. And I think that there are people in life who maybe have some sort of a head start or are able to receive things easily. And I think that's a beautiful path. I think some of us are in this life to show that that is possible. But I think too, when you have a lot of yourself that you put into something and you're really 
pushing yourself and dedicating yourself to doing well at something and to learning and growing. I think when you get to the end, it just feels, like I said, so much more rewarding. And you never really know what you're going to learn and what your growth is going to be in any of these paths. Like, even if you're doing something creative, you might learn something about yourself personally, right? And I think that's part of the gift of something like this. When you think about it, you are just trying to solve puzzle. But when you realize that you're able to do something naturally on your own, that really gives you a sense that there are other problems that you could solve too. Something that came to mind for me from, to give an example, because this sounds very abstract as I'm talking about it, is that when I was working for a clothing company and I worked for the menswear department, I traveled from store to store. I had a region and it it changed occasionally, but I always had a couple of like high priority, like flagship type stores and then like smaller stores. And the way, and I was a merchandiser, I should say. So I would be going to each location, looking at what they had for product, looking at the directives of like how it should look, and then kind of like finding the medium ground and figuring out what was going to work based on how many tables they had, how many like wall sections they had, et cetera. And something that happened almost inevitably at every store was I would walk in the store and I would just have my coffee, usually from Starbucks or whatever. And I would be standing in the department because keep in mind too, in a lot of stores where there's like ladies and men's, if you notice like the men's section is really small. Usually that meant for us that in most stores, there was an in-store person, at least one, for ladies wear to make sure that it was all merchandised and like on a daily basis, you'd be like updating. But in men's, you would sometimes have someone who was familiar with it. And sometimes the ladies merchandiser would have time to go over there. But most of the time, it was just whoever was assigned to that store. When they got around to that store, that was when it would get really updated. Like the store would do the directives to to their best uh, potential, but I would have to go and really just regroup and completely re-merchandise usually when I went to the stores that got less attention. And so I would stand in the doorway of the department by myself and just stare at the walls. And I would just be taking everything in, looking at it all, knowing in the back of my mind what product needed to be featured if it wasn't already, taking a look to see what they got. And after I had done that for a while and kind of like made a mental plan, I would take down everything that needed to move and it would look like a disaster for the first hour or so that I was working because I would just be taking everything apart. I would have racks. I would have stuff on top of like the fixtures and then I would just put it all where it needed to go. That was the next step in the dominoes and like putting it all where I wanted it. It wouldn't always be folded nicely or whatever, but it would all just be in that general area. And then I would like hang and fold whatever was opposite. Sometimes you'd be taking stuff out of the wall to fold down. Sometimes you'd be hanging stuff that was on the table. I would do all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden it would just look kind of cohesive again. And then I would take the steps to like properly make sure everything was in the wall looking nice or on the table looking nice 
Then I would go through and dress all the hanging forms. And then I would go around and do all the like the little mini mannequins that would be at the top of the wall or on the table. That was the process. But the idea was that I could really just think about it like a puzzle. I could think, okay, well, if this goes here, you know, there's a lot more of this thing than that thing. So where's this going to go? And it was something that I would do mentally where I would just stare at it and it would just make sense to me at a certain point. It would just click. And so keep in mind, too, this isn't like it was the same at every store. In most chain retailers, especially if you think about different malls that you go to, there's some that are really high end, that have really big stores that, you know, make a lot of money. And then there's some malls that are more just like local malls. They may not be highly trafficked. You may not have the same clientele. Like maybe if you're like a mid-range or like on the more expensive range in the smaller malls, you might not do as well because there's less competition. People are just getting what they need more so than high fashion compared to like a city store. And so the way that the collections work each season is that they look at at least this is from the companies I'm aware of. They look at the volume that you have. So like, are you selling a lot of product? Are you selling a mid-range, you know, or like a lower level store? And then also like the store size sometimes will determine your volume because sometimes even though you might be a somewhat busier store, if you have a really small area, they might have to bring you down a volume so you're not getting too much product. And then sometimes, even if you're at a specific chain level, you might look at what you get and you're missing, like, let's say there's a dress shirt and it comes in six colors and a print. You may just not get the print. And then if the front table is based around the print and you just have colors and there's nothing else, then that becomes a problem to solve, right? And so for me, that would be my job is I'd be going into these stores and I had a variety of stores. And then you also get to know the clientele there of like what sells. So even if something is like selling out at other stores, you may be sitting on it and no one's buying it. So for example, for a lot of the time that I worked there at really high volume, high fashion stores, they would sell out of anything that was like a new print. So like florals and experimental prints, they would like be selling like faster than we could get more in, right? And then you would go to like a smaller store, like a, maybe a more rural location, and they would just be sitting on it because that's not something that the population there was really having the same reaction to because maybe they're just, you know, going to their regular day-to-day -day desk job and it's not really as competitive in fashion in that area. And so sometimes I would go into a store and say, okay, I know that my other store is sold out of this and you're just sitting on it. So I'm going to send this to you. And then vice versa. If it was like a really busy, like big store and they were full of merchandise, I'd be like, okay, what can we get rid of here? Look and see, oh, this other store is selling a lot of this. So I'm going to send this to them. And so I had to mentally keep track of the store layout, what fixtures each store had, how I left the store, what collection was where what they got in terms of like their chain and looking at the directives, I would have to look at the store and say, okay, A is the, I'm going to set it up according to directive, but can I maybe put an alternative here if it's something they don't have? And so this was kind of my real life example of how I used to 
really look at like the algorithms of all these things, right? Where it's like, okay, yes, this, you know, store X gets this amount of product, but they're probably not going to sell this particular shirt. I'm going to put it there, but I'm also going to offer this other one that kind of is in the same collection. And I think you can think of probably examples in your life where you have had your own version of this. So let's say maybe the Rubik's Cube just isn't for me. Maybe that puzzle is something that I could try and try and try for my whole life to solve. And if I keep just staring at it and stubbornly digging my heels in when I know it's not right for me, I might miss out on this other puzzle that I am uniquely meant to solve, right? And so I think that's why this example came to mind is that Yes, I may not be great at like numbers and like these kind of complicated algorithms. And who knows? Like I said, I haven't really given it a full try. I haven't sat with it for any long period of time. And I'm not in a rush to. I'm going to keep trying it and see if it's something that I catch on to. And then maybe at some point, if I get curious, I'll look up the solves for it. But I think realizing that just because something seems to be easy for everyone else and there's so many people that are able to do it doesn't mean that it makes you any less smart or any less intelligent than someone who can if you're not able to. And sometimes it can be frustrating because we just really want to be able to do a certain thing. We have it in our heads and we can get really stubborn. But it's really important to realize that if you're frustrated, let's say even if it's at work, like the kind of work that you're doing, if you're frustrated on a daily basis, it might be time to like kind of zoom out and be like, okay, what part of this job do I like? And what is it that I'm not liking? And then figure out like, okay, so is it the job or is it just the position or is it just this particular task or is it just this aspect of my job? And that can help you to kind of realize where maybe you need some support or maybe where you could suggest an alternative or you know if you're working for yourself it might just be do I need this do I want to do these kinds of sessions anymore do I want to have this type of you know resource for people do I want to continue doing this thing that makes me extremely frustrated or can I hire someone to do this part of my business and then the other piece here that I have is thinking about one row or like one color when you do get that little win like it may not be permanent you might have to move those pieces around to figure out another section or something but it's okay to celebrate when you figure something out because something clicked and you know we're not always going to have everything working at once in life that's the other image that comes to mind when I think about having a row and then breaking it up again is that Maybe one area of your life, like maybe your partnership is going really well, but work isn't. Or maybe work is going really well and your partnership's going really well, but maybe you're having some health challenges. And so it's okay to celebrate when something is going well, even if it seems small. We don't know how long we're going to have anything going well, any particular thing. And so it doesn't mean that you won't eventually get there just because things are changing as well. But just keeping in mind that everything in life is temporary to some extent, even if, you know, things are going well. And let's say you're in a permanent relationship, one that you believe and know is going to be for the rest of your life, you're still going to have phases within that relationship, even with your career, even with a job. 
you might have different positions throughout time, even if you do stay in the same field. And that's a good thing. It means that you're recognizing when it's time for change and when growth can happen. And then there's times where you might just get something by a fluke, like you might accidentally solve a Rubik's Cube just from being curious, right? And you wouldn't be able to do it again if you tried, maybe. Like there might be times when you do solve it and then someone gives you another one and you're like, I don't know how I did it. And so I think in life, though, keeping in mind that you don't have to prove how you got somewhere all the time. And I think we do get caught up in this with imposter syndrome, thinking like, I have to prove that I deserve to be where I am, or I feel like I did get it as a fluke, even if it isn't. Sometimes we think it's a fluke, but really it's because we just get something really naturally and we don't give ourselves the credit for it. So take in all of those moments when you do get it even like i said if it's only like the one time that one time could be what catapults you forward in life you never know what that might bring you to and i think keeping in mind also if you're having trouble with something or you know you really really are wanting to solve the, a certain puzzle like let's say you know you're just like i really know that this is something i want to do kind of think to yourself, like, what is going to happen when you solve it? Like, what is that going to get you? Is it so that you can tell people that you solved it? Is that going to bring you a genuine sense of accomplishment? Is this something that you just feel is like a personal goal? Because eventually you're going to, once you've done it, the faster you get there, the faster you're going to find a new problem or a new, like a new challenge, right? And if you don't have a personal connection to it, if you're not fully invested in what you're doing, it doesn't matter if you do get it or not. It's not going to bring you what you're getting, right? Like what you're looking for. If you're looking for that sense of personal accomplishment, but you don't really care about the thing, it's just because you've seen other people do it, then, you know, maybe it's not for you. And I also think about like, Sometimes we do want to skip ahead to not have to go through all the struggles. Sometimes it's really good like to get a coach or find someone who can give you the answers faster because it doesn't matter sometimes how you got there. There are times when you just need to get somewhere. You just are like, this is the missing piece to my puzzle. I need to figure it out. And somebody else has the story to explain how to get there. And I think knowing whether like what part of it like i said like knowing like what happens when you solve it is this something that you need that you're like this is a missing piece to move me forward or is this just me so i can tell other people that i solved it right or is this going to just do i think that i'm going to feel better about myself if i solve it these are all things that kind of keep coming to mind when i think about this but that's pretty much like the messages i got around it i had thought about sharing because there's a lot of people that have written pieces on life lessons from the Rubik's Cube. But then I was like, you know, those aren't my stories. And I feel like I was meant to share what came up for me. And I think the main takeaway that I have from this, this feels very much like a Gemini thing, right? Like it's something that takes some intellectual power and curiosity is another really big theme that I think comes up around this. And so 
keeping that in mind when you have a problem or a puzzle is, I think, really important that curiosity is what's going to pull you through it. And then it makes it less serious, right? And then coming back to the idea that people are having the same idea at the same time, while I've been gathering all this information over the last couple of weeks, I was talking to my mom yesterday and I was telling her about it. And she said to me, Do you, did you know that your dad and your brother were talking about Rubik's Cubes when he was here a couple of weeks ago? And I was like, I literally had no idea. And she was like, yeah, they were just talking about them. So I just feel like it's cool that you know, when you, once you are thinking about something, there's something that just connects with people. And I'm wondering how many people that are listening to this have had some sort of thoughts around it, or if they have their own ideas of what that could mean for them and the possible philosophical ideas that might come up. I feel like this also links back to our conversation last week on being a beginner, because I have no idea how to solve this thing. And that's okay. The fact that I can't solve it is because I'm new to it and it's not how my brain usually works. And it doesn't mean that I can't get good at it or that I can't find my resources that I need to do it. So I hope this really resonated with you. I know it was kind of all over the place, but that's kind of how these things are coming to me is in little snippets. So I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Spirit Crumbs. You can find me on Instagram for this podcast at Spirit Crumbs, or you can also find me at Concrete and Crystals for my own spiritual offerings and more tidbits about my own journey. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.